This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Man, oh man, I love me some Mondays. I do. I like me some Tuesdays, some Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. But I love Monday as well. Welcome. We're going to have Bob Rathburn, the voice, the play-by-play god of the Atlanta Hawks. See what he thinks about a couple of things. One, the reason that is interesting, the Jante Murray of the Atlanta Hawks bumped the referee. We can't show it, but my goodness, what are we doing? So we got that going for us. Doug Gottlieb's going to call, uh, call in about uh, 10 o'clock to join all the action. But first, all right, I know we're not supposed to like LeBron James. I know LeBron James wears you out. I know when you hear the word LeBron James, many of you have just turned the channel. You've clicked off. You said, I'm not listening. But hear me out for just a second on LeBron James. See, LeBron James has been in the public spotlight since he was like 16 or 15 years old at St. Vincent St. Mary High School in Akron. He was involved in being a great player, number one. He was involved in Nike, giving him money, number two. He drove a Hummer to school. The Ohio High School Association suspended him, brought him back. He lost his last high school game to Roger Bacon High School. A lot of people don't know that out of Cincinnati, but here's the deal. When LeBron has been in the NBA, he's been great. Now, you can say you don't like his politics. You can say you think he's dumb. You can say whatever you'd like, but he's been great. I'm showing a little too much cleavage here. Let's button up, Dan. What are we doing? Anyway, but you can't say that the guy hasn't given effort. You can't say that the guy hasn't been a pro's pro. You can't say that on the court the guy hasn't been anything other than dynamic and spectacular, and for the most part, off the court, whether it's his family, his kids, whatever, he's handled himself really well. So before they went out and whooped the Grizzlies, you remember this guy, Dylan Brooks, who's a wannabe Draymond Green, diet Draymond Green, according to Brian Winhurst, got mild, he got stupid. All right? So Green, or excuse me, Dylan Brooks decides he's going to hit LeBron James in the package. He's going to hit him in the package, and his dumb, you know what, is going to get ejected, Dylan Brooks. But this is what LeBron James said before the game and after the game. I just like this out of James. Let's hear from James. LeBron, you've earned a lot of great respect in this league by your accomplishments. Are you surprised with both his comments verbally and his action in the third quarter, the lack of respect? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, I think my resume and what I've done for this league and, and uh, I speak for itself, so I don't really get caught up in, 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 in those, uh, in any comments like that. Um, and like I continue to say, like, at the end of the day, my focus is to my teammates and us trying to figure out a way how we can beat the Memphis Grizzlies, now how I can beat an individual in our team. Um, if anybody know me, they should know that's what I've always been about. And uh, 
You know, that's all that matters. Yeah, he's absolutely right. You know, Dylan Brooks wants, I don't like this look. Dylan Brooks wants to be a knucklehead and be a knucklehead. Dylan Brooks wants to talk and be a, a, a rough guy, whatever. Get fine. But the truth of the matter is, Dylan Brooks has got nothing other than a mouth to come at LeBron James. And LeBron James is right. I mean, whether you like him or not, he's always been about that. He goes out, gets 28. They win. This idiot Brooks hits him in the package because that's apparently what NBA players do. Apparently, NBA players have decided whether it's we're going to kick you or we're going to smack you. We're going for the jewels, baby. We're going for the packy. And I don't know why, other than it's the AAU stupid mentality of the NBA. But hey, it is what it is, and it makes for pretty good TV. But I got to say that about James as we start. I really do. I Look, I've had enough. I know we don't like James, blah, 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 blah. But I got to tell you, that was pretty good. All right, let's hear from some folks. Trey Young. Trey Young gets beat. They can't play with the Celtics. Bob Rathburn's a play-by-play voice. He's going to join me in about 10 minutes. Let's hear from Trey Young post-game after another beatdown by the Boston Celtics. Felt like you guys made the push there towards the end. I think you cut it to four, like two, maybe three different times. What was it that, you know, just didn't allow you guys to get over the hump there to close it out? Uh, I mean, we were getting back to being aggressive and making shots and I mean, sometimes we were, I mean, we were being aggressive early on and they just weren't going in. Some of the shots that we made last game just weren't going in and they were being more aggressive and, I mean, especially so, they lost last game and so it came out with a, a higher sense of urgency and it, it, uh, it showed and they got to the basket on us a little bit more tonight and, and made some easier shots, but uh, we just played more aggressive, but shots were going in. Trey, of course, now headed to Boston. Uh, you guys are in a must-win situation. You've been in this situation before uh, as the leader on this team. What will your message be to the guys, and uh, what are you looking forward to as far as Tuesday's game is concerned? Uh, just taking it one game at a time. I mean, it's, we're in a winner go home. I mean, we got to come back here anyway. We might as well come back here and play a game. So um, we might as well go up there and take care of business and just take it one game at a time, and um, anything can happen. Trey, you all had a couple of moments in this game where you had some defensive lapses, um, maybe some miscommunication or whatnot. You know, what do you kind of credit that to, and how do you kind of get that fixed before you all head north to Boston for game five? I mean, they're a really good team. They're not, I mean, they're here for a reason. They, I mean, number two seed, they're a really good team. They made adjustments, and um, I mean, we just didn't, didn't, we didn't make the right adjustments throughout the game. I think we came in with a, I mean, we, we got better from last game and certain adjustments throughout these couple of days, but um, for the most part, when you win, there's not many too much adjustments you can make besides focusing on what you did bad the previous game. So we, we, uh, they just came out and made some more adjustments and, and just hit us first. Yeah, well, they're not, they got no chance. I mean, that series is over. I'm going to talk to Bob about it. Uh, a couple of things. I mentioned DeJounte Murray. He's just going to go bump a referee. I would assume he'll be suspended. And then Jalen Johnson. I remember when my man Billis decided that the word camp, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago, Jalen Johnson left Purdue in the middle or uh, left Duke in the middle of the season. And people were like, well, you know, his camp said he should leave and go to the NBA. And Billis decried that the word camp 
of course, was racist. My ass, that's just Billis trying. Camp my backside. Jalen Johnson's camp should be mad. Jalen Johnson's camp uh, should be mad that he made such dumb decisions. One, to leave Duke in the middle of the season, and two, to go play, and he's not good enough. He got six minutes yesterday. So his camp should be mad. Oh, man, the things that we worry about in this world. The word camp was racist, oh, a few minutes ago. This will be the coolest thing you see all day. Are you ready? Buckle up. This is no ego. This will be the coolest thing. This is Clay Thompson talking about his running mate, Steph Curry. Watch Clay's face when he talks about Curry and his work ethic. And being an admirer of Curry, going back to the days when De- uh, Seth Curry played at Davidson. Give a look. Give a listen. Your thoughts, your commentary, you know, playing alongside Steph, you know, and, and doing these type of magical things. What's, what's your thoughts on that, you know, as your career has grown with his? Well, I've admired Steph uh, long before he was a warrior. When he was at Davidson, I was a fan. I went and saw him play at the Honda Center in Anaheim against UCLA. And I was amazed by his skill and his ability. And then to be drafted with the Warriors and be his two guard for as long as I have been, um, it's been nothing short of amazing. And I just appreciate his hard work. I get to see it every day. I mean, the guy's in the best shape for a reason. He doesn't take shortcuts. And he's just a great family man. And he's got a beautiful family. And he's just wiser beyond his years. You know, I feel like... Steph's been the same age since 2012, so he just uh, is a simple person, but he is a competitor, and I mean, just to still be out here playing in playoff games with him, uh, it, 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 it's a great feeling, and these times I'll cherish for the rest of my life, and uh, hopefully we can carve out a legacy of one of the better backcourts to play this game. That is so cool. That is so cool. Think about the garbage that we see in the NBA. Think about Draymond Green acting like an idiot saying, me, I, 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 me, I, 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 I. When in fact, when Draymond Green had to lead the team without Claire, without Steph, they had no chance to win, didn't make the playoffs, and were ridiculously bad. But this is a Hall of Famer right here. This is a humble Hall of Famer. It's interesting. It really is. It's interesting to watch Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Jalen Brunson, three players' sons, how they handle themselves relative to the rest of the clowns in the NBA. It's really fascinating. I think if I were a coach in the NBA or a general manager or an assistant general manager, I would start looking at players a little bit different. That's a humble dude. You want to know why Golden State wins? It's not because Draymond Green decides to play defense every third or fourth game. It's not because Draymond Green gives up the ball. In fact, I would argue it has nothing to do with Draymond Green. I would argue it has everything to do with the class, the toughness, the professionalism of Klay Thompson and Steph Curry and how it rubs off on Draymond Green, how it rubs off on a guy named Kayvon Looney, how it rubs off on Andrew Wiggins, how it rubs off on everybody in the organization. You know, I used to say this, and nobody listened to me, because Indianapolis media is really stupid, and sometimes Indianapolis people can follow suit. 
But I always said this about the Colts looking for a quarterback. You got to go after Tom Brady. You got to go after the best of the best because he elevates everybody in the franchise. They tried to tell us Phillip Rivers did, and maybe to a degree he did. They certainly tried to tell us that Matt Ryan was, and that was laughable. Absolutely laughable. Well, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson elevate everybody in that organization. I don't care if you're an assistant to the assistant's assistant of the assistant. You got to sit up straight because Clay, Steph represent everything good and they do it every day. That to me was as good a video as you will ever see about team, as you will ever see about teammates. You can take all this other crap. You can take all this John Morant crap, and I know he scored a bunch of points, and when he's out, he's flashing a gun, he's wearing a hoodie, he's acting like an idiot on the bench, instead of being a pro, instead of respecting the game. You can take all the Jajante Murray bumping in a fish, you can take all the crap of the crap teams and the crap people and put them all aside. The ones that matter are the LeBron Jameses, how he's conducting himself, the Steph Currys, the Clay Thompson. Again, I know on the YouTube chat, a lot of people aren't liking the LeBron James, and that's cool. You can get rid of politics and his phoniness and all that stuff, but you can't argue with how he's gone about his business as a player and his business as a representative of the NBA. And the same thing with these two guys. And that, to me, is the coolest thing that there is. I'll tell you what else is pretty cool. We see this in colleges. We don't really see this until they win uh, some team some, some in some sport, in some major league, wins a title, and then everybody goes nuts, right? Everybody loses their mind. Well, the New York Knicks fans lost their minds yesterday on 7th Avenue, and I got to tell you, it's pretty cool because I don't think they were stupid enough to turn over cars, burn down buildings, and loot. This was like a celebration of New York basketball that I thought was pretty cool. Let's give a look. after a playoff win against Cleveland. Like, that ain't beating the Michael Jordan Bulls, or that's not exercising a demon of, name it, the Bad Boys or Reggie Miller or the Lakers. That's after a 102-93 to win over the freaking Cleveland Cavaliers. I think it's cool. I think it's very cool. Like, you guys may not like uh, or you may not care about the Knicks, I guess, more so than anything, because really what have the Knicks given you to really care about? But that guy right there with the ball who came over from Dallas because for whatever the reason, he and Luka couldn't get along, I have no idea. But what a dumb move getting rid of Jalen Brunson. But the truth of the matter is that's cool to see. 
We celebrate sports, but I hope if the Knicks continue this road, and I don't know if they will or not, can we celebrate like that instead of burning stuff down? Can we celebrate like that instead of trashing businesses? Can we celebrate like that instead of busting each other up? I mean, just enjoy sports, and I did. I thought that was pretty cool. The last game of the night, my man Nikola Jokic had a chance to win it 12 seconds to go. Great comeback. Unbelievable comeback against the uh, Timberwolves. Down 12 late. They come back. Jokic fouled. Jokic goes one for two. And next thing you know, it goes overtime where you think maybe the T-Wolves are going to be gone, but they were not. They stood up strong. They got better. And guess what? They took out the Denver Nuggets. And now that series is okay. Still a series. You know what I mean? I agree with the YouTube chat. They kick Cleveland's backside, and the president, Sean Black, is right. They can do whatever they want, and I love it. I do. I think it's awesome, Sean, because the spirit of sports is fan-frickin-tastic once we get rid of all the AAU stupid. We get rid of the AAU stupid, then the spirit of sports takes over, and we got magic. We got absolute freaking magic in our cities. And our cities need magic. Our cities are dumped. Chicago's a dump. New York is a dump. I'm not sure about Atlanta. But we need, Boston seems pretty good. I went there a couple weeks ago. I'm going back there this weekend, big weekend, Harvard softball. But I'm just telling you, I love to see some, I, I, I just love to see a spirit about us instead of what I'm going to show you later on about how voting matters, and when you vote for clowns, it doesn't work out very well. But we'll get into that. Anyway, the NBA, I'm not saying it's the greatest, but it sure is fun. It sure is. And oh, by the way, uh, they made one mistake over the weekend. The betting markets made one mistake, and yours truly capitalized on it. They actually had the Miami Heat against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, Money line plus 100. Your boy put a ton of scratch on the Miami Heat, and thank God the world's greatest coach. All the guys at ESPN, all the Miami Mafia, they tell me that, well, Spolstra is the world's greatest coach. He's the greatest coach in basketball. That's great. But he finally got smart enough to put my boy Duncan Robinson in, and I don't know if you watched the game. Duncan Robinson scored 26, and Duncan Robinson made every good play. Like, I couldn't keep my eyes. He kept making the right play everywhere he was passing, this way, hook passes, whatever you wanted. So Tyler Hero out. They paid Duncan $92 million a few years ago. Here's a story on Duncan Robinson. My son and I were playing in a golf tournament, and my son and Duncan, number 55 there, were college roommates, best of friends. So Andrew says, hey, Dad, Duncan's going to show up at the course. I go, he just signed for $92 million yesterday. I go, no, he wants to get away. He's going to come stay with us for a few days. I'm like, all right. So the kid shows up looking like a kid, right? He's got, I don't know, some T-shirt on. He's, he's got, I don't know, some cargo shorts. And I'm walking kind of down the fairway, and he's kind of hanging out with us. And I tell these guys that I don't really know, but we're playing with him in his golf term. I go, hey, man, see that dude right there? I go, yeah, I go, he just signed for $92 million yesterday. <laughs> and, and one of my buddies or one of the guys goes, that's a kid. I, go, I know. 
92 mil. About time Spolstra got smart enough to use my boy. So congratulations, Duncan Robinson. I'm going to talk about him later on in the show. But I got to give Spolstra credit. He finally got smart enough, and this is horrible. I saw this live, Victor Oladipo, fellow Indiana brother, driving to the rim, tears his patella tendon, and the thing about Oladipo is he absolutely knew. One of the guys came over to him, and he's like, yeah, no, I'm done. You could see it. We were watching it, and we're like, he knows. He, I thought he tore his ACL. You know, I don't know what a patella tendon is other than I do. But anyway, I feel bad for Vic because I love Vic. Bob Rathburn is not a play-by-play voice. He's a play-by-play god, ladies and gentlemen. He's been on the show before. He is the Atlanta Hawks. He's going to join us now. Hey, Bob, um, I don't know if you saw the video, but the Hawks may have a problem. DeJounte Murray decided he was going to get a little physical with a ref. That will not end well, I don't think. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Hey, congrats on the new deal. Uh, That's great news for your staff because I'm sure they're all getting hefty raises. That's outstanding. Yeah. 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 Hey, what do you think? Uh, We just heard from Trey Young. Celtics pretty good, are they not? Oh, boy, they are good. And uh, I think they'll make it uh, to the Eastern Finals. And I think the only team, really, Dan, that can stop them is Milwaukee. Uh, I think the experience that they had last year of making that run to the finals and getting up two to one, I think people forget they were up two to one and led in the fourth quarter of game four against Golden State is serving them well because it's given them that fire to get back. Their playoff slogan is unfinished business and the the IS in business is carved out to look like an 18, which if they win, it will be their 18th championship. So they're on a mission. Uh, they're very good. They're very connected. Uh, their size, their length, their girth. They've got so many offensive weapons. Shooting is uh, unbelievable. Um, and we're not, you know, the biggest team uh, that's ever come down to Pike. They're they're guarding our centers with uh, Malcolm Brogdon, to give you an example. So uh, Boston's good. Uh, I think they'll cruise past Philadelphia, especially if Embiid is hurting. Uh, they didn't have much trouble with Philadelphia with Embiid, so without him, I, I think that's sort of a walkover. And then they, there they are in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Bob, let me. I did mention the Murray thing. I did just happen to see it. What, how does the NBA yes, I go did. about? Yeah, that? I didn't I, mean I, to to I dodge like, it. I I, I forgot no, 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 to no, answer. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's either going to get well, suspended well, or a well, hefty well, fine. You've been in the league a long time. You've seen guys get suspended like Green. You've seen other things. Uh, to the Murray part, I assume he's going to get suspended or a fine. This, to me, you've been inside it. I have not. It seems a bit arbitrary who gets suspended, who doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Or am I wrong about this? Or are there definite rules yeah. in your mind about, think- uh, of the office? Yeah, Dan, you're right. It, it does say it's sort of like calling illegal screens, you know, <laughs> you know, what is and what isn't. Uh, I, I do think there's a, a little bit of history that's involved with these calls as it was. I think even Joe Dumars admitted to that with Draymond Green, that his his prior record uh, worked against him in this latest suspension. But you can't touch a referee. We know that. And uh, and that was a clear bump. He went out of his way to do it. And and he's going to get suspended, I think. Uh, if he gets away with a hefty fine, that would be a win for DeJounte Murray. But 
I, I think he's probably got a game suspension coming to him. Bob, when, when you look overall, and, and you've seen all these teams, you mentioned uh-huh. the Bucs. Um, you better get Giannis back, though. I mean, yes. stars matter in the NBA more than any other league, right? Yep. It's all about matchups in the playoffs. And that's why I think, you know, like New York, uh, if you look down the road, if if it could be, if Miami pulls off this upset, you got a Heat Knicks second rounder, which would be just fabulous, you know, for all of us that remember the the Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy days. Right. I think that would just be fabulous. Uh, but Milwaukee's a quality team. I, I'm a little surprised that they're struggling uh, the way they are without Giannis. But I know the brackets say one versus eight. But in my mind, that is not a one versus eight. That is that is a pretty even matchup because of their playoff history. They have met twice in the last three years, and each team won in a route. So this is sort of a rubber match of, of the recent history of the playoffs between Milwaukee and Miami. I don't view it as a one versus eight. That said, you know, you mentioned poor Victor Oladipo. My goodness, how many injuries can this poor man go through? They've lost him. They've lost Tyler Hero. Uh, that's, that's you know, quality depth that, that you're missing uh, when you go to war deep in these playoff series. So I think Milwaukee will still bounce back, but I think the Knicks are for real. I think Tibbs has got a team, Dan. And you know as a coach, he's got a team that's made in his image. You were talking about Jalen Brunson earlier. That's been the missing piece for New York. They had to have that great point guard that can can run the show, control the game, and they've got that in Brunson, and that makes everybody else better. And and this is Tibbs' kind of team. I think they can go a long way. I really do. I think they've got Cleveland for sure, and whoever they end up getting next, uh, it'll be a battle for sure. You know, Bob, I've said for years, people ask me, well, can this guy play in the NBA? And I'm like, yeah, if he gets in the right spot. You know, I mean, obviously there are stars, and you know they're going to play in the NBA, right? I mean, if I'm thinking about Brunson, and I know I think Trey Young's dad was a coach. I'm thinking about Curry and Klay Thompson. Man, if I'm a GM, i got to take a real look at former players' kids. I I just do because – There's a father influence there that I think is important. There's a father education in terms of basketball player. There's a work. I don't know. It just seems to me like we're seeing some players, kids. I got to look at it. I I I think so. Dan, I'm with you. And I think one of the things is for these kids who grew up in NBA locker rooms, the whole thing has been demystified for them. Uh, They think this is just the – this is how it is. You know, I remember when Steph's kid, uh, Clay, uh, Del Curry's kids were coming up, Seth and, and Steph, they're running around. You know, they're hanging out in that environment. And they saw as, a, as children, you know, the work ethic and practice and loving to compete and all these things. And then, of course, they're watching their dad uh, do this also. So I do think uh, the son of a coach, the son of a player really does have a leg up advantage. Uh, and, and you know, Dan. The biggest part of this league is DNA. You know, if you've got the size and you've got the athleticism and you can play a little bit, that gives you a big advantage too. Yeah, and you, yeah, and and I'm not saying that's the only way to go about scouting. I mean, you can get to the a lot of different ways to get to the right, NBA, right. especially a lot of the international guys. players. Right, 
Right, but man, oh man, I'm looking at you. How do you explain the NBA mentality to me? You've been in the NBA 7,000 years and you're only 29 years old. I understand that, okay? But explain to me how you can let a guy like Brunson go, particularly when you're looking for a second guy to go with a superstar like Doncic. Dan, it's very simple. They screwed up. They they did not offer him the deal that he was looking for. And he said, okay, you had your chance to extend me. You didn't. I'm out of here. And with Rick going to the Nick bench, uh, it, it sort of etched in the stars, right? That he was going to end up in New York. No, they, they bungled it. They mishandled it. And now they are trying to CYA their way out of this. They go get Kyrie. That didn't. That blew up in their face. They may be stuck if Kyrie walks in Dallas, and you've let a guy who you really do need in Brunson walk. You're going to let the guy you replaced him with walk. Uh, I don't imagine that Mr. Doncic is very happy about all these uh, mishandlings of player personnel. You just can't make these kind of mistakes. Then you lose your your better defensive players too when you trade him to Brooklyn. So not only do you lose Brunson, but you lose the cast around Dantage that helped him defend. So big, big problems in Dallas. You know what makes it worse, Bob? It makes it worse for Dallas that you got to sit there and watch Brunson do what he's doing with the Knicks. You got to oh, yeah. sit there and watch it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Even though it's in the other conference, it's still. Like, Doesn't matter. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, it's a shot to the ribs. Hey, you talking about Denver a second ago, Dan? You talked about Denver a second ago? Keep your eye on the Nuggets. These guys are undersold. The national media, you know, they're more worried about New York and LeBron and, you know, the people they're used to Miami. They all want to go to South Beach and hang out. Nobody's paying attention to Denver. Did they take their foot off the gas the last month? Yes, because they had a huge lead. It was human nature. Not that I would have done it that way, but I think they've recovered. They're ready to go. They got the pieces now around the Joker to make this thing work. And nobody is beating them in Denver, not at altitude. You look at that next series. If Phoenix beats the Clippers and they've got to go to Denver and you got Phoenix playing Booker 45 minutes a game, you got them playing KD 42 minutes a game, Chris Paul 41 in this series, and then they're going to go to altitude and play together? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not happening. Denver is on their way to the Western Final. I'm telling you. Bob, I'm going to get to that right now. Uh, you're talking about altitude, and I've said this, and I don't, I'm not going to lie, I don't plan my day during the regular season around whether the Pacers are playing. Once in a while, I'll watch if it's, you know, that kind of thing. But one of the reasons that I love, I don't like, I love the NBA playoffs. And I've even said, and I'm not sure this year because the NCAA tournament was great and I love them both, but there's something about the home crowd, Bob. The crowds are incredible. The crowds outside the arena, having to go play at altitude instead of a stale dome is fantastic to me in the NBA. Dan, the regular season of the NBA is entertainment. The playoffs is basketball. And this is, a, as a basketball person, 
it's why you love it because you have the best players in the world competing at a very high level for 48 minutes. And that's what makes it great. It can't be replicated in the regular season. The guys would kill themselves. You know, it, it's an 82 game grind to get there, but you have to win and build habits that pay off now. And you see the cream rise to the top. And that's what makes the NBA playoffs so great. And you are exactly right. The electricity in these buildings uh, is second to none. It's a city event. This is our team against your team. Uh, You know, there are no Subway alumni going on the road for the Hawks to Boston today for tomorrow's game. You know, it is a city event. It is us against the world. And I think that's a big part of the attraction as well it's just it's just great basketball and we wait all year for this and and I think the playoffs have been fantastic I I do too you know people ask me all the time are you a Pacer fan and I say hell yes and they're like well you know 82 I go fine the 82 games but there's nothing better than going downtown having a beer getting a sandwich sitting outside the weather's getting nice here and then walking across and going to a freaking nba playoff game where everybody's wearing a freaking t-shirt that they give away that's too small that kind of thing and everybody's losing their mind it is i love it i'm sorry i do i do i think we froze bob i think we did i mean these takes are so hot they're freezing they're they're like dry ice these takes they're so hot We'll let Bob go. Thank Bob for coming on. Uh, and we'll tell Bob, Dylan, that we'll, we'll get him again uh, soon because we, 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 he was great. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Gottlieb's going to join us. I got to get into Jalen Rose against Phil Jackson. Jalen Rose, when we come back, did something that Jalen Rose does because, well, that's what dumb people do. That's what people that don't have any type of thing to offer on television, on social media, do. We'll get into that when we come back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, it doesn't take a rocket science test to know Jalen Rose is full of crap. He's full of crap. He's just completely, and I'm saying crap so we can monetize this, but he's completely full of crap. So Jalen Rose the other day goes at Phil Jackson. I'll set it up. Phil Jackson comes out and he says, hey, look, here's the deal. The NBA for him, in his opinion, has become unwatchable. The NBA, for him, in his opinion, got too woke. The NBA, for Phil Jackson, went too far with their social justice stances. Now, you can agree with that or you can disagree with that. You can do whatever you'd like with that. Uh, However you'd like it, whatever you'd like, that's fine. 
But the truth of the matter is that's Phil Jackson's opinion. And you also got to understand that back in the day in the 70s, Phil Jackson was an activist. Phil Jackson stood up for civil rights. He didn't wear a fake hairline, put on fake glasses, and act like Urkel on TV and give nothing other than racial epitaphs on different things. That's all Jalen Rose does. Phil Jackson uh, actually gets down. He gets down strong. Phil Jackson gets down with the cause, has always gotten down with the cause, will always get down with the cause. And when Phil Jackson speaks, people should listen when it's about a cause because that dude has been real his whole life. Jalen Rose has been a fraud his whole life. Jalen Rose was a fraud when he was at uh, Michigan. They were totally fraudulent. They got on a couple runs, good for them, but everybody knows they weren't good enough. Everybody knows they were doing stupid things, and they never even competed in the Big Ten. Jalen Rose has always been that. However, so Phil Jackson says, hey, look, here's the deal. Got too woke for me. Went overboard with their social justice. Turned people off. Fine. That's his opinion. Well, of course, you know what Jalen Rose did. Jalen Rose went to the stupidity. It went to the stupidity. That's the same Phil Jackson that won championships with the greatest black athletes in the history. Made millions off their back and off their sweat equity. That's crap. That's total crap. None of these NBA players, including Michael Jordan, won squat until Phil Jackson got involved. Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan hadn't won jack through six years, and all of a sudden Phil Jackson becomes the coach, and guess what? Kobe Bryant hadn't won jack. And then guess what? Phil Jackson becomes the coach. Shaq had one jack. And then Phil Jackson becomes a coach. I would argue that a lot of black athletes, uh, one, made millions because of the sweat equity, the intelligence, the system that Phil Jackson brought to them. But you're never allowed that as a coach. You're always like the overseer. It isn't ever anything that you've done. That shows Jalen Rose's ignorance. Because the greatest athletes in the world, Michael Jordan, Shaq, Kobe Bryant, attribute their success in large part to Phil Jackson. Michael Jordan, I love Doug Collins, but he didn't win anything with Doug Collins. Stan Albeck, love him. He didn't win anything with Stan Albeck. Next thing you know, here comes Phil Jackson, the Zen master. So this crap about he won, made millions off their backs and off their sweat equity is complete garbage. It's not surprising, because that's all Jalen Rose has. Look, the NBA pre-halftime and post-game show is America's worst, and this isn't me saying This is the higher-ups at ESPN knowing it. Who's the one constant on that show? Jalen Rose. Why? I'll tell you why. The difference between Charles Barkley interacting with Kenny and Ernie and Shaq is a family. Jalen Rose is auditioning. He's about Jalen Rose. He's going to make his point, but he's never interactive. He's been there 10 different times. They've changed this set. They've changed this, and it's horrendous. It will continue to be horrendous, and I know this as fact. Now, I shouldn't say as fact. I know this because facts change in what I'm going to tell you. ESPN's dying to get rid of this guy. ESPN overpaid him. Remember, he was supposed to do the get-up show. They paid him like six to nine million a year. Lasted about a month. Didn't want to wake up. Didn't want to do the work. Was unprepared. 
Has there ever been anything that this guy has said that has been interesting that didn't involve you're a racist, you're a racist, you're that, you're some name calling? Of course not. He had zero. They tried him on Big Ten games. He was awful. But he's always been awful. This isn't anything new. ESPN's afraid to get rid of him because they know he'll go, oh, you're racist. ESPN should be beyond that by now. One thing ESPN has showed, I mean, you just look at college basketball. They've given every little, uh, every little kid, every little diversity group a platform on college basketball and NBA basketball. But Jalen Rose saying that he, Phil Jackson, won off the backs of black players is garbage, nonsense, crap. And Phil Jackson is right. Phil Jackson's absolutely right. The politics turn people off. When people shows you who they are, you believe them. Are we supposed to show ourselves? Are we judged now by Jalen Rose? That's what Jalen Rose said. So we're to be judged by Jalen Rose. Judge me all you want, jackass. I care less what you think about me. You should worry what I think about you. And, And I don't know you. I've said hello to you. But as a guy on a show, you've absolutely killed NBA Countdown for damn near a decade. So we're all supposed to, and when they shows you who they are, you believe them. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. But we're all supposed to make sure that we show Jalen Rose that we're a good guy because he's judging us. Look. Always been a fraud, is a fraud, will never not be a fraud. Judge anybody how you like, pal. But my God, stop with the, eh, just keep going with the racist crap, actually. Keep going with it, keep going with it, keep going with it. It's made you millions. It's made you think that you are some kind of activist. And frankly, it has cheapened, and this is where you should stop, it's cheapened the use of the word racist. When someone shows you who they are, you believe them. Yeah, okay. All right. Jalen Rose is now judging us. Oh, my God. I hope I live up to the lofty expectations of Jalen Rose. All right, what else we got? Hey, so transgender folks have decided that they're going to go a-killing. That's right. They're just going to shoot this transgender crime all over the place. The government and others are spinning it as hate from people that aren't on board with the transgender movement. But I would argue real hate comes with going into a school and shooting it up, going into a mall and shooting it up. Real hate and distrust comes when you don't publish the transgender's manifesto on why this particular transgender individual did some shooting, killed six people. Why? What's behind all this? Government says we can't handle it as a people. Who the hell are these people to say what we can handle and what we can't handle? Are you out of your freaking mind? Are you insane? You guys are the worst of the worst. And you're telling the American people? We would like to know. Maybe if we got a manifesto, i.e. a script on why this is occurring, maybe we could look in our own communities and say, wait a second, 
somebody is kind of fitting this and we want to be on the lookout. Maybe, just maybe, we can prevent. Oh, I don't know. Is that such a bad thing? Are we not allowed to do that? Are we that weak-minded? No, you all in the government, the Pete Buttigieg's of the world, the Joe Biden's of the world, the Kamala Harris's of the world, you all are that weak-minded. We, the American people, can handle it. We, the American people, are saying, hey, okay, we're good. Let's go. We're fine. Uh-huh. Everything's all right. We're rolling. Yeah, we're good. Son of a biscuit maker, how about we not be afraid of a transgender community, the alphabet mafia? How about we say, hey, look, we are for us, the American people, and not worry about, well, I'm changing my sex, so I am entitled to do whatever I would like, and you're supposed to be silent about it. Ain't happening on this show. Why hide the manifesto? Why not bring the manifesto out? And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, then it makes for hate for transgender people. No, it doesn't. No. Seems like the hate is the other way. Seems like the hate is coming from the person with the rifle doing the shooting. Just my thoughts on it. Uh, Speaking of that, Minnesota somehow passes a trans refuge law that would make the state a destination for kids seeking hormones and sex chain surgeries. The key there is kids. You can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't get a tattoo, 18, 21, you can't drive until you're 16 a day and a, half, and, and a month and a day here in Indiana. But in Minnesota, hey, go be a kid, go get your sex change. Can anybody, anybody, anybody explain that to me? I would love to hear the reasoning that we're going to let kids make these decisions. And people, adults, crazy-ass-looking adults, are sitting here going, yeah! The Senate passes bills for reproductive freedom and trans refuge and ban on conversion therapy. Now, you explain this to me. Today is an historic day. We are affirming that being LG is normal, healthy, and natural. After years of carrying this bill, the Senate passed this law. The medical and scientific community has been uh, clear that individuals deserve to be supported who they are. And by passing this bill, we show our Minnesotans that we will do that. Good. You showed what exactly? You can't drink till you're 21 in Minnesota. Can't smoke by smokes till you're 18. Can't drive till you're 16. Can't get a tattoo till you're 18, but you can come in there and go get your sex changed? What's wrong with you? Also, that you can show a community that you're with them? And make no mistake, the more you look into this transgender thing, there's a lot of mental health issues here. There's a ton of mental health issues here. Nobody wants to say it. I'll say it. Look at these guys. We got guys acting like babies, literally wearing diapers, sleeping in cribs. I met. On the street in Minnesota, hey, can I ask you something? Some transgender dude, I don't know, in a red dress with an Adam's apple this big that popped out on a tree as my wife and I were walking back from dinner about 11 o'clock. Hey, can I ask you a question? My answer was, hell no. Leave me alone. That ended that. 
But in Minnesota, we're a refuge. In Minnesota, you can go get yourself a transgender. You can go get yourself plucked, pulled, sliced, whatever, as a kid. And you think that's good. People are out of your freaking minds. Don't ever go to Minnesota. There's no reason to go to Minnesota. Minnesota's a hellhole. I don't care. I don't care what you say. Minnesota's a hellhole. Jesus. Can't get a drink, but you can cut off your tits. What? Can't get a drink, but you can cut off your crank. What? Because I feel... Whatever happened to tomboys? Let me ask you that question. Whatever happened to tomboys? Hey, she's a little tomboy. That's my wife. My wife was a little girl. We'd have some idiot teacher probably somewhere telling her that she needs to get her something, something. She's really a boy. She's not a boy. It's a woman that loves sports. Now go to Minnesota. You can't drink. You can't get a tat. Can't smoke. But you can cut off your genitalia. Does that even begin to make sense? Even a little? Of course it doesn't. But we pander. Look at this crew of idiots there in that picture. We pander. Gervonta Davis knocked out Ryan Garcia. Knocked the living hell out of him. It's a pretty good fight. Pretty good fight. Took a body shot. Now, those of you that have ever boxed, and we used to box in our neighborhood, I didn't mind getting hit in the face. This head, hard as a rock. But the body shot, I used to put a pad in there because I'm like, oh, man. Davis is now 29-0 with 27 knockouts. Davis might be a guy that I want to watch. 136 pounds, pound for pound, maybe the best fighter out there. I'm talking about boxing, not MMA. I can get down with boxing. I've always been able to get down with boxing. I think boxing's great. But I got to tell you, boxing has been lacking. Next Davis fight, I'm going to get. I'm going to buy whatever you got to do, and I'm going to watch. I didn't watch, but I want to watch. Saw some highlights. Guy's pretty good. He's worth my time. I tell you who's not. Can I tell you who's not worth my time? And this is the quote new media. It's never the player's fault. Remember that quarterback guy that was supposed to be so good, he did commercials at Clemson, DJU? DJ Ungolalele? He was supposed to be the next best thing. Well, he wasn't. Not only was he not the next best thing, he was no good and he had a transfer. Now, DJ Ungolalele is mad at the coach. DJ Ungolalele had a transfer from Clemson to Oregon State. And when a guy stinks, it's never the guy that stinks his fault. When a guy doesn't live up to something, it's not the guy. In fact, I was reading this article in the Greenville News, and I was waiting to hear racism. I figured since he got replaced by a white quarterback, it had to be racism. Now, Ungalele is saying that Brandon Streeter, the former coordinator, was very basic, and he wasn't trying to help me show off my strengths as he prepared for a professional career. I thought, sure, you should do that. But I also thought you're trying to win games. Now, I don't know. I don't think the offensive coordinator knew that Sweeney wanted to go with Klubik. I just want to get a spark. I was pissed. 
What do you mean, spark? We just had our best drive right there. I'm doing exactly what you're telling me to do. He feels more comfortable at Oregon State. Of course he does. And when it, it, it allows him to play with more freedom at Oregon State. Okay. I watched Ungalele for two minutes, and it's the same thing I've said about Arch Manning. See, I put a white guy in there. Make sure. Uh, same thing I said about Arch Manning. They ain't that great. I thought Ungalele was going to be one of those guys where you go, damn, that guy can really sling the caca. He doesn't sling nothing. He's all right. He's fine. Maybe he'll be great at Oregon State. I don't know. But it's the same thing I said about Arch Manning. When everybody's jumping up and down, standing on their head and crapping snowballs, I'm like, yeah, Arch Manning looks all right. He looks fine. If his name was Dan Dockage, he wouldn't be the number one quarterback in the country. It'd probably be about, I don't know, top 100 somewhere. But he's good. He's got the Manning name. He throws it enough. Seems to have some instincts. Ungalele, same thing. I'm like, man, I bet this dude can throw it. No. But, of course, it's the coach's fault because it's always the coach's fault. Sick burn, man, is what I read someone say. Oh, you really got dabbled. Did he really? Or if you have half a brain, do you just look at it and go, well, here's just another young guy bitching. See, that's what I look at. Just another young guy bitching about the fact that he didn't play as well as he should have, had to transfer, and away we go. You want some good news? I'll give you some good news. Pirates prospect Drew Maggi finally got called up to the bigs. 13 years in the minor, 1,150 career minor league games, and the man got called up to the big leagues. How about that action? That's pretty good. Good for him. We all fell in love with the call-up to the big leagues in Bull Durham. We did. When Nuke Lelouch got called up, we saw actually, well, to, for the most part, for the first time in a movie, at least for me, where you saw the actual interaction of getting called up. You know, you always heard. I had some friends back in the day that got called up. Uh, Danny Plezak's been on this show, and he's talked about it. You know, in high school, we all knew Danny was going to be a freaking first-round pick, and he was. Next thing you know, but he had to go to the minors. He had to go to Stockton, California, to work his way up with the Brewers. When he got called up, he can tell you today, this moment, the moment he got called into the office, till damn near the moment he arrived, I think it was Yankee Stadium for his first game. That's the beauty of the call-up. And really, for the first time, we saw it in Bull Durham, and it was very cool. When something cool happens, we got to get Doug Gottlieb's opinion on it. When something weird happens, like Jalen Rose going at uh, Phil Jackson, or when something basketball happens, we got to get Doug Gottlieb's opinion. Doug joins me next. Uh, go tell your friends Gottlieb and Dockage are together. It's magic. Let's go. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Hey, one thing I didn't get to in the Davis-Garcia fight is now Garcia is saying there was a mole in his camp that was feeding information to Gervonta Davis. Good. I like that. I like more drama in boxing. Boxing, you have to have drama. My friend Doug Gottlieb, when things hoops happen, we got to go to Doug. When things, uh, all things happen, we got to go to Doug. All right, let's get right into this. Phil came out, Jackson, 11-time NBA champ, said, hey, look, uh, went a little too far politically, the NBA did. He doesn't watch anymore. Jalen Rose fired back in typical Jalen fashion. You're racist, sweat equity. I would argue this, Doug. I think you can make the argument that Kobe, Shaq, Michael Jordan, Pippen, they didn't win nothing until Phil came around. A lot of guys making money off Phil Jackson's work. A lot of guys winning championships off Phil Jackson's sweat equity. Give me your take on the whole deal. Well, you're absolutely correct. Um, Jordan didn't win anything until, until Jackson was the coach. Um, and Shaq and Kobe, as we both know, they were a disaster in terms of their ability to be coached until Phil Jackson brought in the credibility. So in terms of coaching, you know, I think he's beyond reproach in terms of his resume. Remember, he won two CBA titles, which you and I both know, like, in many ways, that's harder because you have a sliding roster back with the Albany Patroons. But I think the big question is, you know, Scottie Pippen, uh, bless his soul. Remember, when he was trying to sell his book, he was going around telling, telling people, Hey, the reason that Phil Jackson chose Tony Kukoc to take the last shot in one game, but by the way, a shot that he made, the reason he, he, he did that was, um, well, because he's racist, that he wanted a, 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 a guy of lighter skin, granted, not an American-born player, um, to take that shot. So what Jalen alluded to on social media and many others did was, hey, maybe Scotty's into something that, that he's racist. And here's the thing, Double D, that I know you know. Like Phil Jackson's an old-school hippie, like literally a hippie from his days as a player and his days growing up. You know, free love, everybody's, you know, everybody's civil rights. Like, I, I would, we're taking a leap, and that's the problem, that, that is not there. All he said was, again, and I listened to the audio, was, again, during that time, he felt like the NBA was pandering to a, you know, to a political cause, to, to a political cause. And, you know, look, even in, in what I do in national radio, you want to play to the widest set of the audience. And he thought he was turned, he was turned off by it. Now, does that mean that he's a racist or that he was turned off by putting political slogans on the basketball court there's a there's a space there that we only we occupy everybody becomes a racist when you go like hey i'm really not down with the blm movement why why does that make you a racist i I don't understand you know like you can say like here's my deal you can say black lives matter they do and say hey black lives matter is an organization i'm not going to support for a, a litany of reasons those two things can coexist. And I think there was no real follow-up as to, hey, why, you know, why are you turned off by it? Is it something specific? Is it something racial? And of course, he's not going to expound in that direction because I don't believe that's who he is. No one outside of, outside of uh, Tony, uh, Scottie Pippen has ever said 
that Phil Jackson's racist. And, you know, people go back to his posse comment when he was talking about LeBron James. Like, what he said about LeBron James was, everywhere he goes, he's got his guys with him. Posse is a, is a word. It is not a racially insensitive word. It has never been until these moments where we try to make everything into some sort of racial thing that doesn't exist. I don't believe those actions are racist, but I think this is kind of classic what we do. If you don't completely agree with everything that, you know, um, a political extremist or extreme ideals are presented, well, then you're just not down with anyone on this side's rights. And that's not fair. That's just not fair. It's not right. And I think it's lazy. I, I do. I, I think it's lazy. Um, and I think it's typical. I, I, I just think it's become typical and it cheapens the word racist. It cheapens when somebody may actually be racist in a certain, uh, in, in, a, in a certain situation, Doug. It's really, really hard to believe that Phil Jackson is a racist. Like that, that one's a, that's a gigantic, like, let, let's think about this for a second. You know, it's just be, because you didn't like that the court had all these slogans that it really felt like, you know, that was, and, and, and if we, we remember back in, you know, it's our job to remember those times. It wasn't that long ago, but like it, it was a really weird time, right? We're talking ever, the world is shut down with, with COVID and you have the George Floyd story and all these protests. And, you know, he was turned off by it again. I'm not turned off by it. I don't care. I don't. I like watching basketball. It was definitely a, it was definitely different. But it's reasonable to think that reasonable people can be turned off by politics and sports. And, and you know, I know your show and OutKick is different. I can only tell you from hosting a national radio show, Double D, for 15 years solo and for over 20 years um, in, in total, is that when, when people have said to me, bosses have said to me, keep politics out of your radio show, it's not because – they agree with or disagree with my politics. It's because sports has always been a refuge from politics. And uh, we've made sports, we've presented sports in a way on television, which is like political debate. And that, of course, causes the energy to change. Um, then you, you bring in not just political times, but as divisive a political time as we've had in my lifetime. And now all of a sudden you do get people that go like, Hey, I just want to watch the game. I just want to watch the game. And I think there's a very strong possibility. Phil Jackson just wanted to watch the game and he thought it was too much. And, you know, Jalen, and he's not alone. <coughs> Many others are taking the leap that, Oh, that means that he's anti-civil rights, that he's, you know, I mean, like, it's just such an incredible leap that I, I I knew people would make when I heard the audio, but I don't think anyone who knows Phil Jackson would ever make that leap. 
No, I, I think, and, and if you know anything about Phil Jackson, I'm going back to the 70s, early 70s. He was marching. He was, to your point, he was one of the original hippie activist NBA sports guy. I mean, you know, back in the day, guys really didn't do that. Bill Russell certainly did. But he was one of the first, Doug. He really was. I believe so. So, anyway, you know, I, I think – and what what it does is then it amplifies Scottie Pippen's voice as like, oh, well, Scottie Pippen suddenly is the voice of reason. Like, no, Scottie Pippen has been a crazy person trying to sell books, selling saying bizarre stuff. Right? That's the reality to I, it. The, those of us, those of us who lived it know that Scottie Pippen was seen as soft, right? And that Detroit tried to punk him. And it was Phil Jackson that put him and uh and Michael Jordan and others in a system where they could function and work and win championships. And they won six. And by the way, the guy he picked to make the jump shot made the freaking jump shot. So, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, you, you can't help some people, Dan. You just can't. That, uh, that no. This is a – I was watching a video. I don't know if you saw that video. Of, at the Memphis Grizzlies-Lakers game two, there was a fight between a white guy and a black guy in the stands. And, you know, if you look at comments, and I watched with like two of my black friends and they were like, oh, the white guy must have dropped an N word. I go, so, OK, let me let me get this straight here. Let me get this straight. Um, you assume because a white guy and a black guy are fighting, which I would never I can't believe anybody would ever actually throw down in the stands, let alone when you're paying 500 to a grand for a ticket because the seats weren't terrible. Uh, who, these people who fight, I just, I don't know. It's They're like people of Walmart. I don't get it. So you assume that the only reason that two guys can come to blows, and then you're saying that a white guy goes to a basketball game, and we're all realists here, right? The NBA is a very high percentage of black guys, right? So you're a racist, or you're going to drop racial epitaphs while going to an NBA game. Like, who would drop – I don't know anybody who drops an N-bomb in my real life. That, that that word doesn't exist. But who would do it at a basketball game, seated next to a black man, seated in a, in, in a, in a section where, if you look up the racial makeup, is probably half white, half black in the city of Memphis. But that's where we are, that white guys are seen as – uh, am, am I living in an alternate universe, Dan, where white dudes just walk around <laughs> dropping N-bombs? And it, this is weird. And then every black person assumes that white people will drop N-bombs. Like, no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in real society. That is a very, very, very small, and hopefully, this is what I, I believe, people that drop racial epithets uh, um, are, are slowly dying off, much like people who say Washington and wash your clothes. They're just, they're, they're slowly <laughs> going away. But we assume that there's just, like, there's this racial handbook that white dudes are dropping N-bombs. Like, no. So that's where we are, Dan, is that the second you say the, the greatest professional coach of the modern era, because he said, ah, don't watch the NBA anymore because during the bubble they got too political, that the leap we make is, like everything else, he's got to be a racist. And that stinks. 
it does stink. It stinks that people automatically assume that somebody is going to drop an, uh, you know, the end bomb when something happens. I mean, it, it, that, it, that nothing you can do about it. It's the way we're living right now. But I do think one of the reasons I like being on this show is you can call it out. One of the reasons I like you is because you will call it out because in real society, that just absolutely does not happen. You can make up that it happens. You can say it does, but it doesn't. All right, I got to get into the court. I got one for you. I got one for you that relates to it. Okay, something actually really important in sports, uh, in the the reality of sports and how race really doesn't play a factor, especially in the quarterback position. You saw this S2 test, right? The S2 test is a processing test. And um, all the talk last week was, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have a quarterback from Ohio State, highly decorated, Many people think can go number two in the draft. Maybe your boy, uh, Chris Ballard, can draft him number four overall. And he bombed the S2 test. Now, when you say you bombed the S2 test, it's not like you can study for it. It's a processing test that he scored 18% on. Meanwhile, Bryce Young scored through the roof, highest score. And so we can say, we can use whether it's processing, whatever. It used to be Wonderlick, and when somebody didn't score well in the Wonderlick, you could say, well, there's some sort of racial component to it. Now, I, you would think if, if Will Levis scored the highest on the S2 test, he did not. Then all of a sudden, and, you know, you have, uh, you have men of color scoring lower, you would think. But last week, the highest score is Bryce Young. And the reason that guys will sit in that green room is not because they're white or they're black. It's because of the evaluation of that individual's level of competency to play quarterback in the National Football League. Because the only thing that matters in the NFL is, can you win? That's it. Nobody cares about the other stuff. They don't. And I think actually that was a good thing to break out the race out of, out of the NFL draft, specifically quarterback, which came out last week. You know, that, that whole test thing is going to be interesting because that blew up, right? I mean, that blew up with Brady Quinn and Ryan Clark, and now, you know, columnists looking for clicks are going to write articles and name names about – they called it, at least here in India, the character assassination of C.J. Stroud. I guess. I mean, if that's what you want to call it, you call it that. You can, But if the score is – if the numbers are accurate and we're dealing with sports – the numbers are what they are, and those numbers to a general manager actually do matter. And white or wait, black, so, so, so you wait, said so it is it only, I, here's, and, and I know you're not saying that. I'm, I'm asking you know, to, to somebody who writes that or a media member who puts that like, okay, so what's the purpose of having testing? Right? How would you know? You're, you have to understand what you're putting behind a football player, when you draft it, you draft a quarterback in the first round outside, outside of Jordan Love in the last 10 years, they all play, right? You, as you know, what's brought down the Indianapolis Colts is there's a lot of other issues they have, but they haven't been able to figure out quarterbacks since Andrew Luck walked away. Right. Right. So it's a, an abject disaster. So it's only it's character assassination when it's a background. Every mate, every huge job you do background up. And somebody's going to draft him, but you have to have that background. And, oh, yeah, by the way, is it only character assassination of C.J. Stroud, but not of Bryce Young? Bryce Young scored through the roof. You know, I, so I, 
I think it's unfair to allow people to truly do their jobs. And what you end up getting is the watered down nonsense that we see in some TV broadcasts where everything's great. Every, every eye is dotted with a heart, but this is the real world in the national football league is you can be a franchise changer in one way or, or the other, like only the Niners have been able to survive the Trey Lance disaster. For the most part, if you draft the wrong quarterback, you're getting fired. That's what happens. Head coach, general manager, you're getting fired. So you want to have as much background as possible before you make that decision. And anyone who says otherwise is one kidding themselves and two is very likely never hired or been hired based upon the, you know, the usual aspects of going into somebody's background and checking out all the different things that would make them a good employee for their specific job. There's a reason there's background checks even in the most menial jobs. There's a reason. You know what I mean? There's a reason. And the reason is we want to hire the best person. And sports, look, and the NFL in particular, what you said is all I talk about. I don't give a rat's who you draft. I don't give a rat's what cap space. The NFL to me is about one thing and one thing only. You got to win, period. I don't care if you got a black running back, a white running back, a black court. Nobody does. Just freaking win, as Al Davis said, and it has never been more true than right now. Correct. Correct. I mean, because what you're saying is that what people, again, and this kind of goes back to Phil Jackson, right? Which is, okay, what you're saying is that all of these men of different backgrounds all this time. Like he held something against them because of their racial background, despite the fact that they right. had incredible success together. Okay, so it's the same thing with, with the National Football League. A general manager or a president, they're going to make a hire of a coach or of a quarterback or of a whomever. And they're going to go like, look, I have to win in order to stay gainfully employed so my kids can stay in the school they're in. So my car can be paid off. So my house can be paid off, right? There's a reality to it. But at the end of the day, like, well, you know, all that is important, but it's got to be a white quarterback. Like, no, that doesn't, that's not actually how it works, right? How it works is you do, you, you see all the quarterbacks and you pick the best one you possibly can. And you don't know if he's going to be there when it's your time to pick. And, uh, and he's got to be a leader of men, right? He, he does. So, I, the the idea that I do I think race plays a factor. I'm sure there are places in life and there are people in life where it does. Um, I would say that 99.9 percent of the time in sports, nobody cares about the color of your skin, about your racial background, none of that. Can you help me win? And if you can't, I don't want anything to do with you. There's only one unforgivable sin in sports, and that's losing. Don't do it. Right. You know, last thing on Phil Jackson, you know this better than anybody. When you're together uh, or when you're on a basketball team, particularly an NBA basketball team, the coach, the team, you're together all the time. I mean, you're not hiding nothing. You're not, you're not hiding your racism like in the basement. You know what I mean? You are every stinking day from basically the end of September till, in Phil Jackson's case, the end of June. And I never heard one person during all of his years in the NBA even think that Phil Jackson 
was racist. Not even one, not, not ever. All you see is we're hugging, we're loving, we're talking. He gets guys to do these Indian things. I don't remember as a coach or a player, anybody ever bringing that up until after the fact when you're trying to make a name for yourself as a media guy. That's how I look at it. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. Anyway. Hey, uh, I heard a great thing today. Clay Thompson, it's, it's an unbelievable audio, him talking about uh, Steph Curry and how proud he is to be his shooting guard and the work ethic and all that kind of crap. And it's not crap, it's glorious. Um, give me your thoughts, not only this year on Golden State, but this relationship between the two and what it has meant, not only, I don't know, to Golden State, but to the NBA. Well, I, I th- there's you know there's rare people that you meet in life. Um, I know that in both of our travels in the business, you meet people and like, man, I kind of feel better from being around that human being. You know, they're the light bulb that lights up every room. And I think the story here, and and, and Clay gave some credence to it, is um, I have a really good friend with USA Basketball, and he was like, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And uh, we've had every NBA superstar, you know, since, what was it, 92. You know, you're talking 30 years. And the guy that everyone will say is the best human being of them is Steph Curry. Like, literally, they're like, the guy's unbelievable. Tremendous energy, you know, just loves to play, loves to entertain, loves to work. And, oh, yeah, by the way, loves his teammates to have success. Like, I think it's a real thing. I just think he's an incredibly likable human being. And, and oh, yeah, by the way, it's really interesting. You watch him the other night, and I know they're way better at home than they are on the road. But you get, somebody feel free to pick against the Golden State Warriors to win a championship this year. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm just not. Because until further notice, you know, Draymond coming off the bench, and he brought great energy the other day, you know, when he doesn't go all WWE Draymond. Uh, they have that young group where um, I think I thought Moody played really well the other night. Uh, but in in regards to Clay and Steph, um, I think the story is not just their shooting and their overall skill and their performance in the in the highest of heights in the NBA. It's that Steph Curry is the rare superstar that is what he purports to be, right? Like he's the he's the real genuine article as a human being, and I think that's what. You know, because how else can you be Clay Thompson and anyone else? I mean, going through the injuries he's gone through and kind of the fight back to be a dominant player. And here you have Steph Curry, who people fall all over themselves for. And you would think and again, I you know, you and I watch. It does feel like he never misses, but he misses plenty. And no matter the criticism he's he's uh, received or whatever. Like, the guy handles it so incredibly well. And then he's gotten better as a basketball player. Like, that's a big thing. Like The the thing about the stars in the NBA, Kevin Durant is a workaholic. Steph Curry is a workaholic. And Steph's become a viable defender. So um, I think that's really what this story is more about than just, you know, two incredible shooters teaming up together as the Splash Brothers. I agree. I, I, I totally agree. I think it's way more about – well, give me your take – on Green, Dylan Brooks, 
Give me your take on those th- those antics in the NBA. Why are we hitting everybody in the package? Why are we kicking? What are we doing? You did you think he did that on purpose? Who? Dylan Brooks. I mean, uh, yes. so LeBron James is dribbling the ball up the court, one on one, full right. Like we've done this drill in at, several times a week in practice, right? Where you're trying to. Pressure the guy, contain the guy, steal the basketball from the guy. He reaches, and LeBron goes behind his back, and he catches him in the nuts. And so he tried that nut shot. Why would you try a nut shot there? I, I, don't, I don't understand. Not sure. Not sure why you would say LeBron's old. Not sure why you would do any of it. But I, I well, no, I mean, I know why. We all know why he would do that. We all purpose. know why he would do that because they they oh, want to be Draymond no. Green. Like, no, look, I they, understand they all that, want, but. Draymond Green, Draymond right, Green but, has, but that's what a, happens, a, right? But again, like you would say, it's it's all it's a formula that we've seen, right? So, I think it's up to us as as fans and media members to not always take the bait, to just roll your eyes and go like, I mean, even it was it was performance art, right? He's got the sunglasses and the open vest right. and the chest, and he's like, yeah, I don't respect anybody till they give me forty. Like, really? That's the dumbest thing I've ever... So a guy gives you a 35 and you don't respect him? Like, you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and Dylan Brooks has always been a, he's a nice guy, right? Like, we covered him when he was in Oregon. He's a Canadian dude. He's a good dude. But what ha- it's it's performance art. It's everybody wants to be the next Draymond. Hey, how do I get on Inside the NBA? How do I get a podcast? Right, whereas, because Draymond, I think the thing is that his... The name... And image far outweighs how good he actually is as a basketball player. He's been bad offensively the past couple of years. Last year in the finals, in many ways they were better without him on the floor than with him on the floor. And I love Draymond. I think he's a tremendous player. But, you know, there's there's a reward in acting like a clown. You get the attention. And we take the bait all the time. You know? And it's it's chum that we lay out there, right? We're always trying to, as media members, get somebody to make a guarantee they're going to win a game. Have you ever played a game you didn't think you're going to win? Of course I guarantee I'm going to win. Otherwise, why would I go out there and play? Uh, but the Dylan Brooks thing, I, I was at the game, um, was that Saturday night? Yeah, Saturday night, yeah. And it was one of those deals where it was the first time that Laker fans truly embraced LeBron. Like, they, they like LeBron. It's great. It's still a Kobe town. Right, Kobe, then Magic, and all that stuff. But for the first time, because Dylan Brooks said he's old, suddenly LeBron became old. LeBron, let's go. And the team was incredible. LeBron was okay. He had two ridiculous dunks. But he can't play longer stretches because he is, in fact, old. But, um, yeah, the Dylan Brooks give me some attention thing, I don't know, it, it may have – it feels like he, he didn't cross a line in terms of somebody wanted to fight, but in terms of the attention it received, the energy he got from the Lakers, and how they're not now in a kind of, it feels like a win-or-else mode. Um, I, I think he bit off a little bit more than he can chew. And, you know, the thing about you can, you can talk it all you want, you got to be able to walk it. And he couldn't, and they couldn't walk it. Uh, I, I did think it was a joke that he got thrown out of the game for reaching for a loose, reaching for a ball and end up catching the other kind of balls. But I don't know. Like, you thought he should have been thrown out, Double D? 
I think I think it is so easy to do that stuff, make it look like it isn't. I think he was looking to do something. Um, yeah, I do. I I, I think he does all. I, I watch Harden. I think Harden did his deal on purpose. I I do. I I just think it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, when you've played that much. I got to run, my friend. Uh, what do you got on the show today? What do you got? Uh, definitely some NBA talk, but mostly NFL draft talk, right? Does, yeah. Is somebody going to take Bryce Young one? And then, you know, what? Well, who's the second quarterback taken? When are they going to trade Aaron Rodgers? That feels like that'll happen this week. Um, and then um, who else is in the quarterback market? What happens with Lamar Jackson? So, a lot of NFL with the NFL draft uh, on the horizon a couple days away. Appreciate you, my friend. Thanks, Doug. Anytime, brother. That's the great Doug Gottlieb. I love the fact that he'll just tell you how it is based on experience. That's why I like having him on. We're going to get into the NFL draft with our friend Jonathan Hutton. Coming up here in a couple minutes, do the Colts, ladies and gentlemen. Do the Colts get C.J. Stroud? Is C.J. Stroud's character been assassinated? (laughs) We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, welcome back. Let's talk some NFL. Nobody better than to talk to our man, Jonathan Hutton. Jennifer will be very excited because Jennifer has a major (laughs) crush on our friend. And uh, Jennifer is all over the YouTube chat today, as are many. All right. C.J. Stroud. I was just talking to Doug Gottlieb about it. Um, This whole test thing, this C2 test, he scores 18. That doesn't look so good. In fact, it's the worst among quarterbacks. Where does this factor in? Is this character assassination? It's the only, it's the only test, Dan, where we actually care about what happens uh, with, with these quarterbacks, right? No other position is this getting leaked. Uh, no, it's not character assassination. And no, I don't think C.J. Stroud is falling down draft boards because of some C2 cognitive test that no one can define in a sentence. Uh, you know, we heard about the Wonderlick for years. No one could really tell us a question that was on that damn test. In fact, Ryan Leaf was on the show last Friday and said that he and Peyton 
uh, sat right beside each other during the test, looked at each other and said, what in the hell are we doing here? And one quarterback bombed out and was one of the biggest draft busts, is not the biggest draft bust, and admitted it. And the other one was Peyton Manning. And they scored the same test score on the Wonderlick. So, no, I don't think it means all that much. And, yes, I think C.J. Stroud's going number two. <laughs> I know. Here in Indy, we got our, 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 our reporter. It's character assassination. Brady Quinn assassinated his character, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, damn, man, all right. But he's still, if he's available at four, the Colts are going to take him at four. I don't give a damn if he scored zero on whatever test it is. Here's the thing that worries me, like concerns me about the Colts and all of the reporting. Um, Dan, when's the last time that you've heard of a team that was just like, and, and the Colts aren't necessarily saying this. It's just what I've heard through reading over the last, you know, seven, what feels like seven years, seven months of this draft. Right. Oh, um, right. The, the Colts will just take whoever's left. What organization does that? Just sits back. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Well, just sits back and says, oh, you know, Levis, Richardson, if Young and, and Stroud are going one, two, Levis and Richardson, whichever one's left at four, they'll, they'll draft. And I'm thinking, absolutely not. That's not how this league works. You don't take the last pick if you have the chance to move up and make sure someone else doesn't get ahead of you to draft your guy. You know, the, the, the talk about the Texans trading, not, not trading, taking defense at two and then drafting Hendon Hooker at 12. If you love Hendon Hooker so much, you can't wait until 12. That's just how this league is. So I don't sit back and wait if I'm in love with one of these quarterbacks. I'm not saying this is the best quarterback crop either, but from the sound of it, there will be aggressors and there will be teams that feel like they can sit and wait because the quarterback crop isn't all that great. And that's just never the case. QBs are always overdrafted, even last year to some extent, uh, with Kenny Pickett. So I, I, I think that last year's the anomaly, really. And this year we'll see more of the same where it's these four, maybe five QBs with Hooker, and then the rest of the draft commences. I've said the exact same thing. If the Colts, in fact, let's just say for the sake of argument, if they like Hooker, and let's just yeah, say, you know, him. Anthony Richardson's there, then just take him. Like, don't screw around with this deal. Just, I remember Ryan Grigson, and this became very public, when he drafted Andrew Luck, they were going to take Polian and other, you know, said this. They were taking Russell Wilson in the third round because they liked him. They say he, you know, so don't screw around with a quarterback. Speaking of screwing around, uh, Tannehill, people are talking about him. It's a big cap hit, apparently. What's going on yeah. uh, in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill? He's available. Um, they've got to get something in return for him, and they have to have a, a replacement because Malik Willis is not that guy. They haven't done anything in free agency. Right now, there's not much to do there. It, Dan, Tannehill's going to be traded, but it would come after the draft or after the first round because Tennessee's got to have their guy of the future, and then they need another team that doesn't come away with whatever draft plan they thought they could have, and they're reassessing. You know, if, if something happens between Rodgers and the Jets, and we don't foresee that happening, but if something did, the Jets become – that outlier that need a veteran quarterback. But there could be other examples as well. And yes, Tannehill's got a massive cap hit for this Titans team. 
that's trying to make room for a roster reset with Rand Carthon as their general manager. Tannehill is available because the Titans refuse to say otherwise. And it's obvious if they want to save money on the cap, he's the guy to move. They can save $18 million immediately. He has a $36 million cap hit, and they can move him after the draft and have some alleviated cap room there as well. Plus, they'll know the direction and the path they're going. But he's also uh, a luxury in many ways because they've already made room for him under the cap. And if they don't get the rookie quarterback in the first round, they still have a quarterback with one year left, and they can run through the the offense with him and put some speed pieces around him at wide receiver, which they desperately need. They've tried to overhaul the offensive line. They continue to address that, I believe, this weekend. But Tannehill is one of those pieces that's very unpredictable this weekend because the Titans, do they come away with a rookie quarterback? Are they moving up to three? Are they staying put at 11? Are they trading back? The Titans are very unpredictable, and so is the Tannehill trade. Who do you think will go first? Well, I'm going to assume Bryce Young. All right. Who will go second? I think C.J. Stroud goes second. I just uh, his overall body of work. For, and, and here's what I can't wrap my my mind around: the, the those that are making excuses for Will Levis because oh he didn't have the best offensive line, he didn't have Chris Rodriguez in the backfield for the full season because he was suspended. They they changed offensive coordinators and it wasn't as good. I haven't heard much being said about it being on Will Levis. Meanwhile. All I've heard is that it's on C.J. Stroud, and he had too much talent around him, and anyone could step up and make those throws. So if you're going to rip a guy for having too much talent, but then prop up another one for having too little talent but still not showing all that much, I don't see how that, to me, evens out in the argument. Um, All the intangibles, sure, Will Levis can check those boxes. Uh, But to me, C.J. Stroud, is. I I saw what he did against Georgia in the semifinal. And uh, to me, you know, Bryce Young's best game, for instance, came against Tennessee in a loss. C.J. Stroud's best game came in a loss as well. I'm not holding it against either quarterback. I've seen enough to know that they're the two best QBs in this draft. Caesar Sportsbook, this just came out, or I guess it came out uh, yesterday. Will Levis has moved to minus 140 to be the second pick in the draft. Tyree Wilson plus 275. Will Anderson plus 400, C.J. Stroud plus 450, Bryce Young 20 to 1, Anthony Richardson 25 to 1. Man, I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. Whenever you start making excuses for a player, that is never a good thing. It just never has been in my mind. And I'm with you. All I've heard is excuses for, uh, about Will Levis. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and Dan, you and I have talked about this. He's a good quarterback. I don't think his, he's a great quarterback. Other, uh, others, you know, they get paid to do this, are going to put their, their money behind it, and that's fine. But I've seen what I, I need to see from the SEC where he was the up-and-comer transfer from Penn State that James Franklin didn't chase down the road and goes to Kentucky elevates the Wildcats into a a very nice program. They have all the accolades and the expectations going into last season. And then I saw a quarterback that leveled off instead of leveling up with talent around him that wasn't as good. To me, if you're that good, you take talent to at least another notch above where they are. 
and Kentucky wasn't that. He needs an offensive line and a run game. There, by the way, that doesn't mean he can't be a good pro. There are offensive lines and run games in the National Football League that will serve him very well. But Houston, Houston doesn't have that right now. And I'm, I'm looking around at some of the other options. If Will Levis is going number two and they're passing on Stroud, to me, that's a mistake by Houston, given the fact of what we've seen on the field instead of a selfie in a mirror. Uh, give all the accolades to Will Levis in that category, but I don't need the quarterback yoked up. I need him you know, winning big games, and I didn't see Will Levis do that. My wife had a great comment yesterday. I said, you know what? I just saw a video of Will Levis on his knees hitting the crossbar. Uh, she, she goes, well, cool. what does that mean? I go, I don't know. It means he's got a strong arm from his knees, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> but There's a joke damn, in there somewhere. I, yeah, there's got to be. I don't know. So when you, when you look at what's going to happen before the draft, because I think it's going to impact, um, you got the Rodgers situation. You got Lamar Jackson's situation, which seems to have quieted down. You got the Texans. Yep. I don't know. Are they giving a smoke screen? Is Will Anderson in play? I just read where Jalen Carter is now kind of moving back up because people are a little more comfortable uh, with him. A lot of intrigue in this draft that I don't think has been there in a while. Dan, what, what has Jalen Carter done to make teams more <laughs> comfortable with him? Absolutely he, I, nothing. Right, I'll answer that. Guess what? I will answer Guess what? That. He's just the best I, player in the NFL draft. The dude can ball, so NFL teams are going to play him. What has Deshaun Watson done to make teams more comfortable with him other than be a really good quarterback? That's all that matters here. And Jalen Carter is the best player in the NFL draft. So all this back and forth, high tide, low tide. No, 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 no. The dude comes in and he plays and he's the best player on the field for potentially multiple contracts. That's why you draft him. Will Anderson is being knocked around, but Will Anderson's one of the more dominant defensive players in college football. And if not for the quarterbacks, those two guys would be the top players taken in this draft back-to-back, bar none to me, based on the production and the consistency that we've seen. I will say this. Now, I did read this. This could be wrong. But after meeting with Jalen Carter, so teams have met with him, And you know how it is when you read about somebody and then you meet with them. They're two different people normally, right? Uh, And again, I understand Carter is putting on his best face. All right, let me ask you this. If you were going to take a defensive player, and let's say you're the Texans and you don't want a quarterback, you're going to take a defender, would you take Carter or would you take Anderson? Which one? For them, I would take take Will Anderson. Um, I would affect the quarterback off the edge. And I would build my defense in that regard. Now, Carter for Carter can fit any defense. And uh, Arizona, by the way, they could use that interior presence too. And that's why they haven't moved off that spot yet. But I, I mean, Carter's a Carter's another player we should be mentioning that teams are going to be clamoring to trade up for if teams start trading back because that's. I mean, when we start getting to Seattle and Detroit, if Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are still on the board. Good teams got a lot better, and they went to good coaching staffs that are going to fit them very well. So, yeah, I I would take Will Anderson to Houston. But, look, I'm taking C.J. Stroud to Houston. 
quarterback is the one thing that they've got to get right. They have won 11 games in the last three seasons. And one of those seasons, they actually had Watson playing for them. So uh, I, I don't address any position before I address that one. Well, I agree with that. I, 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 so let me go to this route. Uh, our guy here, Ballard, said everybody's lying. That's fine. Everybody's lying. Other people say, well, you got to tell Schefter because you want stuff back. I don't believe anything. Like, I, I, I look at common sense, all right? Carolina got to take a quarterback. It, you know, the Texans got to take a quarterback. Colts got to take a quarterback. I don't know who's going to be at three. I assume maybe it'll be trade. I don't know. But when I look at common sense, that's what has to happen in this draft early. Yes, um, unless, you know, you feel like you can – there are some, some teams that have multiple first-round picks. You know, Houston comes to mind there. If they really like Hendon Hooker or, you know, a, a, they can trade back. But when they trade back, they can have a cushion to where they actually pick before they pick again at 12, depending on who wants to move up. They have to be strategic with that if they wanted to trade out of two. I'm – I mean – at some point, they've got all these picks. They got, I think Houston has nine picks right now, and they have the all those first-rounders that were given up to them by Cleveland. At some point, you got to use them. Um, I, I use it on a quarterback first, and then I take the uh, the next best pass rusher that's available at 12, or I, I take a, a solid defensive tackle or a wide receiver to pair with my young quarterback. That That's how I would build what's going on in Houston. That's the common-sense move for me. Um, but the common-sense elements – or out the window, Dan, as you well know, whenever the quarterbacks are in play. Because what may be common sense on paper in a mock draft, there are teams that will move up and shock everyone because they're in love with one specific player that will be way overdrafted. And it'll be an offer that's too good to pass up for the player that we all think is a perfect fit for a certain organization. All that plays a factor except for quarterback. And if you believe that the, the talk is that the quarterbacks are all going to slide, that's fine. We saw it last year, and we were all surprised the day after. But if you think it's a normal NFL year and oh, you start looking at the quarterbacks in the AFC alone, the, the, the playoff quarterbacks, it is a you know kill or be killed mentality. And if you don't have your guy, you got to pull the trigger and go get your guy. You can't sit around and wait. Otherwise – you're going to be in the same position that a lot of these teams have been in year after year. Hey, Jonathan, what's the latest on Hendon Hooker? What, what are you hearing? Well, so he's actually going to be on the show today at 420 Eastern on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. And we'll ask him all that. Last time I spoke with him, he said everything was on schedule. I've yet to talk to a player who says anything's off schedule or they're behind. So I'll throw that caveat out there. I think he really helped himself, Dan, whenever he was given the the pass to go to the Senior Bowl, even though he wasn't going to be able to participate. They normally don't let players do that. Jim Nagy with the Senior Bowl did because of what Hendon Hooker had done over the last two seasons and the unfortunate ACL injury that he suffered against South Carolina. When he was there, he could talk to every single team. There was no limit on how many players those teams could talk to. And he could spend a certain amount of time and really begin to show what he's like behind the scenes, show that he, if he wants to knock the, the misnomer that he's a, a system quarterback, they can put him on the board, they can talk offense, defense, special teams, whatever. And then they get to see him at practice, interact with certain players, give advice to certain quarterbacks on what they saw, 
interact with a wide receiver on a certain route and how he would want something to, to break off just a tad quicker or maybe round off something just slightly different than what the receiver would have done in that practice. I think he helped himself there that led into the combine and then all of the pre-draft visits to where teams have been like, look, he's 25 years old whenever the season starts and he's coming off an ACL. Do we have a veteran that can start the season? And are we willing to give this guy a red shirt year, knowing that if we draft him in the first round, we have a fifth year option. And at, at worst, we've got a really good backup who's going to be great in the locker room that can play and play well if needed. Or at best, we've got a, an older rookie that goes into contract number two that can help us win football games for a fast-paced offense. I think a lot of teams fit that mold for him. Um, teams that come to mind for me, the, the, the Rams are right at the top of that list. But Minnesota, Baltimore, there are several others that would pop that I think could serve Hendon Hooker well. Seattle behind Geno Smith. There are, there are teams with veteran quarterbacks that maybe just on paper sign long-term contracts, but it's really not that long-term on how things are written up. Hendon Hooker's going to go to a good team and a good system, and he's going to be given time to develop like a lot of these other guys are not going to be able to do. Last thing before I let you go, Anthony Richardson, what do you think? Man, I, it's hard for me to say total bust, but he has the lowest floor – and the highest ceiling. I, I, it's tantalizing um, seeing the athleticism. It really is. I understand it. I, I, I told Dan Mullen whenever I was chatting with him, we coached him, like, he didn't start for you, and I think he needs another year. And Mullen kind of smirked. He's like, well, the athleticism is going to have him pick top 10. And, and, he, and he's right. I mean, knowing what we see, Richardson's making the right call here. But he's not. I, I don't see him ready to start for an organization week one. He he needs time. He needs the right fit. And a lot of a lot of times, it's not about whether or not the guy's good or good enough. It's about going to the right organization. And in Richardson's case, we'll see where he falls. I I don't think it's a bad situation if he ends up in Indianapolis. But if you start to tick through other options, Tennessee, Seattle, uh, Atlanta, I think a lot of those or offenses really fit his skill set and would likely be more patient than, than others. But keep this in mind about him. He had his first 200-yard passing performance in college football last season against Tennessee. It's not like he's, he, he's not, he's very unlike the other QBs where there's a very small snapshot and the athleticism is booming. He's very young, but there is so much more that's to be desired to make him the highest pick above anyone else. Fourth pick, man, you got to, I don't know. I think you got to be ready to play. Uh, maybe he is. I, I don't know. I, it just seems to me that these, oh, yeah. these bets on he, the Oh, come, he'll play. Go ahead. He'll play. I just don't know if he's ready to play immediately. Right. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You got, I, like, you know, I know that Carson Wentz had a couple good years. He moved up fine. I, Trey Lance hasn't done it. Obviously, love. I don't know. It, 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 it feels a lot like, to me, in the NFL, you're either ready to go or you're not. And that's different than what it's been 10, maybe 15 years, 10 whatever years ago. But that's the way the modern thing feels to me. You're either ready yeah, or and, and I, you're either ready or you're yeah. not. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and with the speed, the speed of the game is just way different. And I can just see a quarterback like Anthony Richardson, one read, 
and it's not that's not saying he's only a one read quarterback, but he just being behind the scenes for a year is going to benefit him because it's going to be, I think, one read, tuck and run and use the athleticism that always got him out of trouble when trouble got going. And it's just not always going to be that easy for him. And it's going to be a tough year. I, I think that's the case for a lot of rookies, regardless of what happens. It just takes time. There's a reason why we didn't see Pickett start from the jump. Um, if you have the ability to be patient and you have a veteran, let the veteran start for a few weeks. And if you're bad, you're given a reason to put the rookie in and take his lumps. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, Indy. We've got Minshaw sitting here, right? You know, I guess Gar- Gardner Minshew's our guy, or at least our stopgap guy, if they do that. I guess. Good luck. I don't know, man. Yeah, Good luck, that's man. What I'm saying. Yeah. He's, Appreciate you, my better off the I'll bench. talk to you this afternoon. Hey, huh? thank, you, thank you so much, Dan. Looking forward to it this afternoon. Thanks, brother. Uh, that's our friend Jonathan Hutton, Hot Mike, 3 o'clock Eastern time, 2 o'clock Central right here across all of the OutKick networks. And, of course, you go to YouTube, subscribe. You go to the OutKick YouTube channel. We're basically here all day. When Charlie starts before our show, it's going to be glorious. And, of course, Clay's in there in the middle of it at noon and Hot Mike uh, 3 to 6, and away we go. It just is what it is, ladies and gentlemen. We got some uh, Woken Dopes here. What do we got? What do we got? Oh, man. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Listen to this. Six-month baby killed by reckless teenagers who stole a car, and the DA, the idiot, is only charging them with a misdemeanor. Say his name, Christian Ivaldi. Evalda, my God. I mean, lawless societies don't last. You got to have some laws. I don't understand. Like, George Soros is the guy behind pulling the strings, but I don't understand how you, Kim Fox, who is so closely aligned with Lori Lightfoot, how can you live with yourself? How can you live with yourself looking at the cute face here, knowing that some idiots decided to steal a car, this person died, and you're only charging them with a misdemeanor? Look, I understand maybe you don't want to put these kids away for the rest of their life, but you got to show that you are not, in Chicago, a lawless society. And you're doing a very bad job of showing in Chicago, that you are in a lawless society. Chicago has become the wild, wild west. Chicago has become a place where folks just... Over 375 adult males marched the streets of Chicago to kind of say, look, enough is enough to you kids. And we need more of that. We need fathers and men. We need men to get off their ass. I don't care, LGB, to get away from me about this particular subject. We need men, real men, not goofy-ass men trying to be women, not people that are so worried about where I'm going to pee. Men, guys that pee outside for crying out loud, I don't care. We need adult men to stand up and say, this is what we're going to do. And we saw it the other day, over 375 adult men, African-American men said, enough is enough, we're going to march. Man, do we need that. Man, do we need that in our schools. Man, do we need that in our streets. Man, do we need that everywhere. We're being run by an effeminate group here. Jason. Men got to stand up. 
Wild at Heart is a great book to read. Read it. It allows men to be men. Jeez, we got this freaking group of what are we worried about? A friend of mine said the other day, we were talking about this whole transgender thing, Dylan Mulvaney and all this. And he made a great point. He said, we live in the most prosperous, richest, greatest nation ever designed. And we just make stuff up. We just make stuff up. Man, Maybelline. Maybelline isn't good enough. Maybelline doesn't have enough women to represent them. So now Maybelline has this clown. And that's all it is. She is, he is. Honest to God. It's one of those deals where you got a bazillion women, about 175 million women in this country. And this is what you pick to represent a women's line. There is not a woman in the world that should believe. Man, oh man, thank you, Kara. You make truth to, yes, thank you. I appreciate you very, very much. God dang, we sit here and we got this clown, this made-up clown representing women's product. Look, if this made-up clown wants to represent some made-up internet company, then great. But not iconic brands like Nike and Anheuser-Busch and Maybelline and Tampax and the rest. What the hell are you doing? Like, did you see this, that uh, a couple of the executives at Anheuser-Busch got the axe? They should. Now, they're saying, of course, they're saying it is a, well, it's a, what is the right word? Leave of absence. But the idiot lady who came on and so smugly started talking about, well, I'm a businesswoman. You're an idiot. Took a leave of absence. She was the vice president of marketing. Now, Daniel Blake, the man responsible for marketing Anheuser-Busch's mainstream brands, has also taken a leave of absence. Anheuser-Busch told the Wall Street Journal, given the circumstances, Alyssa has decided to take a leave of absence, which we support. And Daniel has also decided take, to take a relief of absence. I was absolutely thrilled when Lee and I yesterday, we had some time to kill, so we went and saw Rutgers play Indiana in softball. And it was great. It was great. It was fantastic. And then we stopped off and had a sandwich, a stromboli, at, at a bar. And it was a neighborhood bar in New Brunswick. And we're sitting at the bar, we're watching a basketball game, we're eating a strum, and I look into the freezer, whatever you call it, the refrigeration case of all the beers, and there were no Bud Lights, Bud Limes, or Budweiser's off the shelves. Sean Black says it best, why is this idiot still celebrated? Not only celebrated, but thrown out in front of us as a representative of women and women's products. It's amazing to me. It is absolutely astounding to me that we do this. It is. It's incredible to me. And I'll never understand it. You can say boycotts don't work, and I'll say fine. But damn, did I want a mango cart the other day. I did. I want, it was right there on draft. I couldn't pull the trigger. I'm just not going to do it. Jody Shelton, I saw it, say something nice about Dan. I do have great hair. In fact, I told Lee yesterday, you know what I can do? I can throw away all my hair brushes. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. 
That's right. I can throw away my damn hairbrushes. And you know what I'm going to do after this show? I am going to throw them away. And I am a great twerker. Fantastic. (laughs) Oh, by the way, for those of you that used to listen to my radio show in Indy, you'll understand this. Uh, Today, Lee and I are starting a new diet. We're eating clean. Friend of ours beat cancer. Friend of ours beat cancer and a friend of ours now to make sure that he's back in business. No dairy, no meat, no booze, no sugar. We're going to try it. I don't know about the meat. Probably go to chicken or fish. I don't know if you count those as meat. But yes, this is diet 7,622. And it started this morning. I got my Moondrops distillery mug. I'm not drinking anything but water all day and coffee. And away we go. Join me for like, I don't know, maybe a day and a half. Be back at it tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. YouTube chat was great today. We'll talk to you tomorrow.